Wait a minute. Have I been doing this wrong? You're supposed yeah. to use both hands adjacently. Actually, I, yeah, up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. This is more of a milking motion no. than a... <laughs> Dude, than a, I don't know what you've been doing. Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, Episode 70, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's episode, we try to figure out just what exactly that math that we all do every single day really is. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the one, the only, the dumbest mathematical podcast in the world. And no one's going to argue with me because I just remembered to mute them, which they are now muted, and... I can talk. Uh, specifically, I can shill immediately for the AcmeScience.com Kickstarter, Relatively Prime. We're about halfway through the time, but we're not halfway through our money. We need you to go and donate right now. You can do that by either going to Kickstarter.com and searching for Relatively Prime, or you can type in bit.ly slash relprime. That's bit.ly.relprime. It's uh, eight episode series of mathematical documentaries that I want to make and I want all of you to support so that we can actually afford to make them. Now, I, of course, am your host, Samuel Hansen, and I am joined, as always, by some people that I wish I liked a lot more. Uh, first up, Mr. Sean Brecklin. Hello. And then the one guest I actually do partially like. And the man with the official beard of combinations and permutations, even in this 100-degree heat, Mr. Cody Palmer. You know what? Everybody asks me that. Like, oh, how do you deal with that in the summer? I don't actually feel hotter with my beard. Yeah, but that's because you've had it since you were two. Okay. I mean, it, it's, it's, how can you possibly know what it's like to have a freshly shorn face? How that, nice. that The thought, does those words, freshly shorn face, just send chills down my spine. Well, at least they don't send chills anywhere else. Sean, you have anything to add to this? You you are a shaper. I am. Actually, I'm looking at Cody, and I think if you did shave, you would have been carded going into Kung Fu Panda 2. <laughs> <laughs> like Dude, that's a G movie, I think. Or no, is it PG? They, they, uh, is it, is it, is it he, R now? Is I don't it know. R? It doesn't even have to is, be is, R. Is, are these Kung Fu Pandas fucking the Kung Fu Tigers? <laughs> is that what is that? Why people actually go to these? Because I cannot see any other reason than cartoon sex. Cartoon violence? No, not good enough. Not with Jack Black doing the voice. Yeah. yeah. Not, not current Jack Black. If this was Jack Black in like 1999, sure, I'd be all over that. But 2011 Jack Black, not so much. Even if it's cartoon sex, I don't want Jack Black involved. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. I'm so very sorry. That is the most disturbing sound that just popped into my head. Uh, you know, I think I might need to sing a song that Cody would be very angry with me. Please don't. Get... <laughs> Please don't. This is not necessary at all. Okay, is so... Sticks or Kesha? Uh, uh, no, Miley Cyrus. Oh, okay. I... <laughs> 
Come on, there's a party in the USA. We didn't have Cody. to say her name. We just, we just. Was that? Ne- I, I don't. We just uh, got. I mean, it's July 5th today, so I mean, it, there really was a party in the USA yesterday, and I think that maybe we should support that and you know move our hips like yeah. Look, first of all, have you ever seen me move me move my <laughs> hips? It's atrocious. No, no, it's actually like yeah. <laughs> I saw. I was there. Did the butterflies fly away? Come on now. <laughs> For those of you that those of you that can't see us, which is pretty much everyone, uh, Cody actually is moving his hips, but he's just looking at it in shame, just <laughs> quietly looking down at his hips, which are moving like yeah. <laughs> it's actually Cody. It's okay. So. Here on Combinations of Permutations, we have some sort of topic every week. That's what we do. That's, that's just how it goes. Now, I wanted somehow to make the topic about me and my recently dislocated shoulder. But I couldn't find any way to do that. So instead, we're going to do something we haven't talked about, something that I'm kind of surprised that we have never done, and that is talk about everyday math. We're, I mean, we're told quite often that everyone uses math all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, mathematics is this incredibly important subject that people need to learn from kindergarten through at least one class in university. But here on the podcast, we've never talked about the things in everyday life that we actually use mathematics for. So I figured, why not? This is not... Well, actually, yeah, this is because I'm completely out of topic. So, Cody... What's something? Okay, so the the my first experience, like when my parents were trying to rationalize mathematics to me, like why I should learn it, um, one of the first things my dad brought up, and he was an electrician at the time, was measurement. Um, and so understanding how um, how an inch or a foot is divided up into its various lengths, and then how to add those lengths together. So I mean, you know, adding up feet, I mean, that was fundamental, but also like, if you have something that's an eighth of an inch, then three quarters of an inch, how do you figure out how long they are together? And that was, that was my first important use of everyday math. And that, that's actually something that we do use all the time. Mm-hmm. We need to f- be able to figure out how far we're going. Like, I mean, if, if you know, you're told a uh, you know, certain amount of blocks for a certain amount of miles, I mean, it, it does help to be able to understand measurement and distance in multiple different ways. Okay, Sean does not look like he agrees. No, no, I, I agree. It's just I'm trying to come up with an example that isn't measuring something. So the, that he realized that's kind of a tall order for everyday math. So I was trying to maybe maybe pattern recognition. Uh, I don't know if how everyday that would be, but... Uh, pattern recognition is everyday. Every day we need to be able to recognize patterns. I mean, whether or not you're thinking of it, I recognize your face because I recognize your face as the pattern that in my brain is your face. All right, that's not everyday math, though. That's not a math that someone's actually... Well, yeah, but no, I'm still... I mean, it's still math. Not all of these things are going to be things that everyone thinks of, but we can still go into the realm of, okay. of areas that are definitely math, but we uh, don't recognize. Just like walking. I thought we were restricting ourselves to topics where someone... Uh, if you're, are what gen- are you doing? We I'm generally doing are. But, uh. Uh, but I mean, also, I mean, there are other, I mean, pattern recognition is something that most people use on a regular basis. Statistics. Yeah. Statistics, uh, being able, I, actually pattern recognition is useful every day in news. 
if you actually pay any attention to the news, you have to be able to recognize the patterns within the news. Or, or you should be recognizing the patterns within the news. I, I mean, otherwise, how are you supposed to recognize that, say, an area is getting safer or more dangerous? Because the news tells you. Well, the news tells you, but if you're watching the news and there's all of a sudden uh, 500 accidents in you know, 100 days, every day there's another car accident, you'll probably recognize the pattern that, oh my God, the people around here can't drive. And maybe I should be much more careful while I'm driving. So, I mean, that, that's a case of actual pattern recognition, which is still a mathematical tool. Yeah, I suggested it. I know. I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, it doesn't, I was rationalizing because it doesn't necessarily sound strictly mathematical. One thing that I was thinking of is uh, modular arithmetic. Mm. We use modular arithmetic every day. And why is that? I, everyone who listens to this knows why. Say it anyway, asshole. Clock. There you go. Modular arithmetic is also known as clock arithmetic. Uh, this this is actually kind of, a, I mean, this is a, a very important and actually rather high level mathematical concept mm -hmm. that kids learn at a super young age. I mean, you recognize that 512 and 612 are 60 minutes away, which is, I mean, when did you first actually learn about the concept of modular arithmetic on its own? Like, when did you first actually deal with that? Discrete math. Uh, see, we didn't do it in our discrete math. I, I kind of had a lane but, of discrete math. Yeah, class, that's but, yeah. still university, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is a this is a university level mathematical concept that kids learn when they're like four. And so I think that that's that's kind of cool. It's not taught because it's like a specific topic that makes like I don't know that that you need at university level. It's taught as it's. You, they they pull it out as a tool to teach you how to prove really simple, like De Morgan's laws and stuff like how to prove really yeah, simple we, things. I, it would be my argument that modular arithmetic should be start to be taught very much earlier because modular arithmetic is one of the most powerful tools in modern computing. I mean, most crypto you need mm -hmm. in order to do it, you need modular arithmetic. Yep. Almost all programming you need to understand modular arithmetic mm -hmm. to do it. So I mean, this is this is a concept that we're te that we're teaching four year old kids, but we're not teaching it in a way that they're able to apply it then to a bunch of other things. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's some question about like what age does that does teaching something on an abstract level become beneficial? Well, yeah. Like, if you, if I'm, you, I'm if, not saying we should teach you know. it teach abstract modular arithmetic proofs in first grade. I don't right. think that'd be very useful. Right. Fourth but grade, when, you, when you have something like a <laughs> fourth clock, grade, I think would be fine. You yeah, get the Fermat's like little theorem in fourth grade. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Could you do? Could you do a version of Fermat's last uh, Fermat's little theorem with? Uh, uh, well, it's long division. Yeah. Sure with uh, well, no, with a clock. Could you do a version? Well, specifically something mod 12. Could you demonstrate it mod 12 with a clock? Well, you'd have to talk about uh, dividing rules and stuff like that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But yeah, yeah I, I think interesting is not the goal in fifth grade math. It's well, whatever. <laughs> but it should be. <laughs> um, if, we, if we want to get people interested in something and... I think interesting is kind of what you should aim for. Well, they teach a lot of. I mean, I remember learning basic statistics in fifth grade. I don't yeah. actually remember fifth grade math. I never had to take it. Yeah, I was. Oh. Yeah, that one for me, it was fifth grade math was like really making sure you could do 
you know, multi-digit multiplication. So I don't, upwards of three. I don't think that I, when I was in fifth grade, I did any math. Averages, to stuff be like that. All honest, I took the high school algebra final for the first time in fifth grade. Uh, but I only got a C in it, which was quite amazing considering I had never actually opened up an algebra textbook. Uh-huh. But they still made me redo algebra then in sixth grade. And then I got like one problem wrong on the final. I don't know. I was I was in the gifted and talented math program at my school. So I got shifted around in all sorts of weird ways. After that class, he was in band. That's where he learned to toot his own horn. No, no, that's just my inherent ability to have an ego, which is better than yours. Uh, By better, he means greater, which is a size, something you can measure, which is everyday math. Bringing it right back to the topic of the day. There we go. Yeah. How about about another one? I I, I actually have one. Okay. (laughs) Every time you drive, you are sort of implicitly doing calculus. Well, sure. uh, you're concerned with, again, we think about the rate of change of our distance as our, velo- as our velocity or our speed. This is, of course, something you're concerned with every time you drive. At least I hope you are. <laughs> um, uh, but also, I think even on top, so that's just your first derivatives. And then even on top of that, you're worried about acceleration or more particularly deceleration, being able to stop in time before a light or before you hit a car or puppy. Um, Sammy Hagar, the derivative. Why, why are we hitting a puppy? Well, I don't like this example anymore. No. Well, no. So you don't hit a puppy. If there, you can't do calculus when you drive, you will hit the puppy. There is a paradoxical uh, function. It's actually the uh, the distance function uh, from wherever Sammy Hagar lives to wherever he's going. Uh, it actually never equals fifty five. Oh, because he can't drive. This is true. He can't you drive. See, so, they, <laughs> so that oh. means he can never. Uh, drive 65 either. Yeah, because it would require him to go... Get 255. Yep. This is true. Unless he was born in a car going <laughs> that was over, going 55 over 55 So it's like Speed 3, Sandra Bullock in this movie. <laughs> Sa- Sandra Bullock and Sammy Hagar. Oh, God. Oh, that is a bad cast. That's a really bad cast. Miss Congeniality and Cabo Wabo together at last. Okay, uh, and so so there's kind of an implicit calculus because mm-hmm. you're worrying about acceleration, you're worrying about distance. I mean, you're mm-hmm. doing yeah, you know, I mean, derivatives and integrals yeah. and everything. Yeah. Derivatives and antiderivatives, I should say, in this case, yep. since we're not looking for the area under a curve. Yeah, I think I don't I don't know. When would so what about we also I think we all do uh, social network theory analysis every day. I mean that that's a thing of math, and we're we're doing it very explicitly as well. Uh, when you have a new piece of information, like when you find out something new and something important, you think about who you're going to tell, right? I just tell everyone. I do. I do think about who I am going to yeah, tell. Yeah, you you think <laughs> you. I mean, you might tell everyone, but you think about that first person, especially if it's a if it's an important piece of personal information. You have that first call. And, and that, in many ways, by telling that person first, you're implying to them that your tie to them is stronger than your tie to anyone else. So you're weighting your own social network. Hmm. And also, even if you're playing and telling almost everyone, there's still probably a couple of people you're not going to tell. And that's weighting them negatively hmm. uh, in, a, in a way that's even stronger than not telling them first. And so I think there's things like that. And there's also, I mean... Think back to think back to high school or middle school. Yeah, well, 
Cody, this is a bit harder for you being a homeschooled person. Did you still have to choose which table you're going to sit at? No, no, there was there was one. The dining room table was for the cool kids. Yeah, the, the you kitchen. got the kids table, didn't yeah. you? You got screwed over. He got the little Tykes play school table. <laughs> like, and no, already, I. You know what? When, I was, had when I was seventeen, that stopped. Uh, mm. You already had the beard, and it was like in your plastic bowl. Mm-hmm. You had to get a. They had to give you a sippy cup. That way, you didn't get a bunch of things like dribbling down your beard. Uh, and but Sean, you know what I'm talking about. You have to. I mean, you have to make a choice about who you want to be perceived as being friends with. Even even if you're not one of the people who cares about being in the popular no. crowd or anything, no. you still actively choose the people who you spend time with. You actively want to choose the people you yeah. spend time. Yeah. Uh, no, with. I'm not. I'm not saying that yeah. this is a sincerely selfish thing. Yeah. But it's it still is social network theory. I mean, because you still have to decide like. Because I mean, there are always the things. There's always that friend that's in the friends group because he has a pool. There is that friend. You didn't grow up in rural Missouri. Yeah, I grew uh, up in rural Wisconsin. There's still the guy, if not a pool, he has a trampoline. Or he had a pool table. Or there's always the friend who's, you know, everyone likes. But if he, if his parents didn't have that one thing that was really nice, you probably would spend a lot less time at his house. He'd mm. still be in the friends group, but you wouldn't hang out at his place. Yes, I, I was that guy. Incidentally, a lot of my friends would not hang out at my house. We would go somewhere else. <laughs> to somebody with the pool. Yeah. Don't you or guys, trampoline. Don't you guys have livestock? We did. We yeah, did. So um, I can at, imagine that being a deterrent. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Livestock smells. <laughs> it does have a particular ungence. <laughs> okay, so other everyday math. Looking up at the stars. Yeah, you got to have some sort of backing up to your statement. You can't just throw well, something well, out there. Astronomy is complicated, and people think of math when they look at stars. That they may not necessarily do math. Well, I, I, but the other little symbols, like, hey, I wonder what those things mean. I, I wonder if I would better be able to understand how far away Ursa Major is. <laughs> oh, and I think that sort of jumping off that fact. I mean, anytime you evaluate evaluate a distance in your mind, you're essentially doing trigonometry because you have two points a fixed distance away that have you're like staring at me blankly. I don't understand this. I don't remember trig. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> essentially, I mean, if between the object you're looking at in your eyes, you form a triangle and then you, you can estimate distance. But again, you do this. Um, this is something you do every day unless you have one eye and I don't want to alienate the, uh, single eyed. Oh, come listening on. They are not as good as the double eyed people. They have no depth perception. That, that is, is actually not true. They I, have I, perfectly functioning depth perception. A single eye. I could, I could still perceive depth between you and me when I close an eye. Okay. Their depth perception is not anywhere near as good. This feels you, the same You need to me. the binocular well, now, vision to properly... Yeah, but every, every single eye has binocular vision. Binocular refers to two. Right, because there's two, like in the back of your optic, like where, where the, the seat of your optic nerve is in the back of your eye, there's actually two sensors and they're independent of each other, which is why I still have depth perception with one yeah, eye. I, I do have to say, I walked around for a couple of weeks with an eye patch and I constantly was misjudging depth. I've done the same thing and I've never ran into anything. Am I oh, the only one? It wasn't, wait, it wasn't wait, running wait. into things. Wait a minute, am I that's the only not, one? That's not the depth that... 
that I had issue with. It wasn't running into things. I would misjudge if I was already close enough to something. Mm. That's where the problem. I mean, because when you get close to something, I mean, I, I didn't run in. I mean, that would that was easy enough to judge. But judging whether or not I would say be able to throw something to somewhere, the judge the judging on that perception was really off. Why were you guys wearing eye patches? I, Pirates. You. I, like, I had like I had you pretended the... to be a pirate for an extended period of time, or you were a pirate. Like, I actually was. You see, I'm half Somali. I uh, uh, I can tell the I had the lens of my left eye. I want to say scratched deeply by a thrown acorn. Yeah, mine was actually scratched by a hunk of rust. I was removing a car. I was moving seats out of a, an old truck. Or salvaging seats, and I go to remove the bolts, and a nice big hunk of jagged rust came down from the from the body of the truck and landed smack dab in the middle of the white part of my eye, and mm. had to go to the uh, urgent care. They put those eye drops in your eye that make your eye numb. That's really dangerous because you're uncom you're you're perfectly comfortable. Then you start relaxing and you know closing your yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I, I went, we went straight to the optometrist because he was open and he's a friend of my dad, so he saw me right away. But I, I was cleaning, helping clean up someone's yard and we got in an acorn fight and he was the best athlete at our school. And he really had a good fastball. Uh, and if you have an acorn coming flying at your eye, make sure you close it. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was an issue. Okay, hmm. so one thing we haven't mentioned, money. Uh, well, measuring yes. things so that... No, it's but I mean we were talking about tried. distance before measuring a dollar amount. You know, you're, all... you're just being a bother at this point. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say calculating a tip because he had already talked about measuring stuff. No, so calculating before. a tip is. I mean, that's something different. I mean, that's it's just a different thing. I, we're trying to bring up all not necessarily every mathematical topic, I uh, but every single different way that the normal person uses mathematics on a daily basis. Well, I guess I would be... So, I mean, using money is definitely a different way than dealing with measuring distances. I, I would be interested to hear it because when I calculate tip, I just double the tax. How do you guys calculate your Well, that's tip? easy to do here because the tax is 8%. But all I ever do is I just move a decimal point down that gives me 10%. Guess a little over... I overestimate half of that and add them up. Oh, okay. So I that, usually I just, give twenty percent. Yeah, twenty percent's uh, even easier. Uh, and a lot of times, I'm a very heavy tipper. Uh, I don't go out very often, and when I do, it tends to be to good places where the service. He is He even tips good. a lot when he's when he's uh, when he's skinnier. That was actually hacky. You're a heavy tipper. He's a tipper that is heavy. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> and I actually am overweight. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's going to get muted for a while here. The, that was just bad work. Uh, so, so how do you, I mean, you, yeah, you just, I just the double tax. the tax. It's nice. Here. It's 8.1% in Nevada. So they get a 16.2% tip. And I asked because I was with, uh, I was with some friends over the weekend and I, I was calculating my tip and they're like, Oh, how do you do that? I was like, Oh, just double the taxes. They were like, Oh, that's really cool. And I was like, not really. No, but no not at all. <laughs> uh, actually, there was, uh, there was an interesting thing. A friend of the show and one-time guest, uh, Matt Parker, who's a stand-up comedian, uh, had, a, had a show about how to deal with uh, calculating bills. 
when you're at a restaurant with a group of people. Now, that, now you can get some pretty funky math when you're trying to calculate a bill for a group of people. Uh, if, you know, I mean, do you split it up evenly between everyone? That's generally unfair because there's always that person who, you know, ordered five bottles of wine and, uh, you know, the most expensive steak and then the person who just ordered like a water and a salad. And so that's not really fair. So what he postulated is that you could just use the idea of a standard meal unit. And that would be if you split it evenly. So there's, say, eight people at a restaurant. You get the bill. Or I... No, no, you didn't split it evenly. What you did is you would look at the average price of an entree and the price of, say, one drink. Most people get a drink in an entree, be it alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It doesn't matter. And that would be the price of a standard meal unit. So that's what most people would pay. But then if someone just got a salad, you would, say, charge them 60% of a standard meal unit. If they got the big steak, they would have one and a half standard meal units. So the whole idea was to just take a regular menu, just calculate a standard meal unit, and then split it up in that way so that everyone could uh, more easily calculate their own portion of the bill depending on mm. what they ate. It seems kind of overly complicated. Why not? Yeah, it was because yeah. he was doing a mathematical <laughs> outreach thing and trying to make the math more interesting. I'd still kind of like the idea. Yeah, but you think it makes sense to make meal units the things that you can't break up. Um, like you break up break up the ticket into like into dollar amounts that you you don't subdivide into half a million no like so you can make the you try to estimate the person who ordered the least amount of food or something like that make that a standard one meal unit and every, every, everyone pays some tuple of that and that would i don't know just make more sense yeah but what happens if you're at a place that has fancy salads where the salads are 3 quarters that's of- why I didn't say salad I said the cheapest yeah, but generally, I mean, that's going to, I mean, a lot of times appetizers are around three quarters of the price of an entree. So that's going to be the smallest one. So the next person's going to have to pay double that. So then he's way overpaying. Mm. You find a way to work it out. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> but, to- I mean, it's, we've, I'm sure we've all run into the bill splitting problem. I almost always end up paying more than I should be. Yeah, I do too. I it's also usually because it's my card that it goes on because I never carry cash. Me neither. Yeah. So that that's always the issue. Uh, fun thing now, anyone who doesn't know, you can uh, get something free called Square, which is a little attachment for smartphones where you can run credit cards. Ah, oh, and it's free? Yeah. Yeah. You Holy get the shit. attachment for free. Square.com. I was talking about that with my, the girl that cuts my hair because she still types my... my she still types my... Uh, phone i'm so she types my credit card number into uh her cell phone because she runs it through some oh yeah credit card company yeah so, no, no, so the, she could swipe it that would yeah be the, atta- the had, attachment is free i know some of the people who do that it's it's awesome yeah the guy who runs the lunchbox across the street from campus oh he uses square he now? uses square yep. it's actually a big sticker on his thing like oh, oh yeah. yeah i have a square sticker i can accept credit cards now uh <laughs> which is kind of odd uh so other things that we use math for every day Hmm. What? Wait, it's, have we really run out of well, things that we It's because we for? actually do math every day. So <laughs> I'm trying to. So, yeah, what are we. <laughs> theorem proving, damn it. <laughs> I use math to prove theorems every goddamn day. 
You prove theorems every day? I'm impressed, Sam. I don't prove theorems every day. I haven't proved a theorem in like a year. I haven't proved a new theorem in a year. I don't count theorems proved for class. They do not count at all. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Hmm. And this just in from one of our listeners? Uh, yeah, we, we have, we have a, a person sitting in here uh, with us. Now, this is another one that would go down in the measurement thing, but it's definitely a good example of things that people do. Uh, getting, say, miles per gallon, mm. and then also being able to, say, estimate costs, estimate the amount of gas you're going to need on a road trip, which was the specific thing that was told to me. I always thought it was funny. There was a guy that came into my office asking, I mean, this guy's in his 40s. You look at him, perfectly capable guy. Looks like he's taken good care of himself these last 40 years. Comes into my office asking me to estimate the amount of money he's going to spend on a trip to Provo, Utah I'm from Las Vegas. I'm, like, I'm thinking, like, how are you not capable of doing this on your own? Uh, a lot of people don't know how to figure out how many miles per gallon their car gets. Well, no, they, he already had that information. And he still couldn't figure it out? He came into my office to ask. There are trip calculators on, online. If you just go to Google and type in like trip calculator, I mean, there's things yeah. that will tell you. But he wanted, he wanted to estimate the amount of money it would cost him. It, did he want you to say include per diem as well as no, uh, hotel just, costs? I just assume gas is three fifty a gallon. Here's my estimated mileage. He drove a Mazda Miata, which is kind of weird Got but like, uh, <laughs> 21 or 22 miles to get to the Allen. I that's think. what he said and i told him to underestimate it at 20 and then yeah he yeah it just kind of blew my mind that he wasn't at least capable i mean I'd, I'd say most people are capable of that and it really just kind of like kind of rocked me that someone wouldn't be capable of that with confidence because it seems so simple but mm-hmm. Am I a bad person for thinking that's weird? Bad person? No. You're just overly educated. We all are. I mean, I've run into examples of that. When I found out a lot of people didn't know how to figure out the miles per gallon their car got. I mean, that's something I was taught how to do when I was six or seven. I think is when I started keeping track of that for my mom. Who was also perfectly capable of doing it, but never shied away from having one of her children take something off of her plate if she didn't have to but and not i was six or seven i thought it was great fun keeping track of it uh and it was just you know those those small things like we we are all people who have graduated from college and are now in a well you two i already have my master's degree uh, <laughs> are now going for a, a a graduate degree in mathematics our level of education is beyond 99% of the people in the world. And so we have to, we have to sometimes remember that, but no, it's in my opinion, people should definitely know how to do it. It just doesn't surprise me that they don't not anymore. Guess is always a very important issue for me, mostly because my gas gauge doesn't work. Oh, so, so I have my little odometer there and I have to add a nice little pink notepad. Yeah. So there's no significance to the pink. It was just one that I had. Why are you defending yourself on Look, that? Look, somebody gave it to me. Why don't get, no, get no one, no one, why are you don't get so, on me about this? Why? Yeah, no one was, yeah, no one, no one was going to say anything about the pink notepad. Look, can we just move on, please? <laughs> no. Um, I'm not going to lie, a mental note was taken, but no, I wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have a mental note. 
I, I just don't care until, I mean, come on, the sleeping bag I use while camping is pink. Does that ward care. off predators or no? <laughs> it's inside of a tent. Was the tent pink? No, the tent's not. Man, if I had a pink tent, I'd be a happy person. I'd probably go camping a lot more. I really like pink. Pink is a very good color. It's a color. Fuck you. <laughs> I feel like we haven't been swearing enough today. Brandon isn't here. I don't have anyone to feed off of. Uh, so other math that we do on a regular basis. I had I had a great idea for something. Oh, uh, we use probability all the time. Most people use it badly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not denying that the use of probability by the majority of people is Horrifying. I mean, this is really why Las Vegas. If I play the lottery, as it is. I can win or lose. That's 50-50, right? <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I still buy a lottery ticket, though. I know the probabilities, and I actually yeah. do know the probabilities. I'm more likely to get struck by lightning going to buy the damn ticket than I am to win. I I actually found this to be interesting because I, I visited the East Coast over the winter, and it was a very common thing to give away lottery tickets as gifts. Oh yes, you know, this was this was totally totally this, that's that's to a Midwestern thing. Yeah. Even weirder, my dad's wedding years back, he got two five dollar winning scratchers tickets. Like they both won five bucks and they were in gift cards. Why? What? <laughs> so I can understand getting a scratcher's ticket that hasn't been scratched off yet because not only are you possibly giving money, you're giving yeah. the gift of, of scratching it off yeah. and maybe a and, little, and, a little suspense. And it's kind of fun. They're pretty cheap. I mean, it's a pretty cheap stocking stuffer that could come out to something it's not going to mm -hmm. but i mean it's a kind of fun thing to just toss in someone's stocking yeah, this was uh, this was new to me it was yeah but i mean you've been either in well i guess do they have, yeah they have scratch shops in california yes yeah. but you've spent here. a lot of time here where there's no state lottery mm -hmm. yeah that uh, there was a professor at my old school and i i've reapplied this quote to lots of different things because we live in vegas but he had a big sticker on his door and it said the lottery is a tax on people that can't do math. And I'm like, wow, that's that's actually true because if you I mean you calculate the odds of winning Powerball. You could play every day since the dawn of time and have still not won. And have it Well, yeah, but I mean that's that's generally true about a lottery anyway. There's there's always a chance that your number is not going to get called. Even if you play the exact same number every single day, there's I don't know. There's a possibility that there's one series of numbers, if you ran it that many times, that would just never happen. Yeah. I mean, it's it's entirely possible. I mean, it's unlikely if you go to infinity. I mean, the, this, that set of numbers should show up at least once. Uh, but, I mean, as long as you're in a finite amount of time. But still, when that, when that uh, Powerball or Mega Millions is over $100 million, I'll still buy a ticket. Who cares? It's $1. And it's kind of fun to think about. If I had a million dollars, your Kickstarter project would be fully funded, Sam. If I had won uh, the lottery back in April, last time I bought a ticket when it was at 300 some million dollars, everyone's Kickstarter project would have been fully funded. I would have started a Kickstarter just to get money and then not done anything with it. <laughs> You're a terrible person. Actually, Relatively Prime is not going to be like that. I will use your money to make awesome things and also possibly to help defray the costs of my medical bills. No, I didn't say that. I would not use it for that. I'm not allowed using it for that, or at least not in the eyes of Kickstarter. Don't worry, I might anyway. No, I will never do it, ever. 
So give me that money, and I will use it for making math documentaries, not for paying medical bills. I've already given you money, Sam. I know. Cody hasn't. Oh, Cody. And neither has our audience. So, and neither have most of you listeners. There's hundreds of you. Most of you in Texas listening 100 times from the same computer. (laughs) There's hundreds of you listening. Please just head on over to Kickstarter. Type it relatively prime. I guarantee the shows will be better than this one has so far. A lot more production value. Better guests. Still my wonderful voice. I mean, that can't get any better, obviously. It's the best voice in mathematical podcasting. There are only like three voices. (laughs) And I got the best one. It's definitely better than Peter's. Peter Rowlett has an awful voice. Do not listen to us on Math Maths. The much more popular podcast I'm on. Okay, so other real world... Real world math. Come on. See, this, this is the thing. This is what I was worried about. We tell people you, you use math every single day. And yet, we have been talking about this for 35 minutes, and we got nothing. Well, I mean, what's, what was that stupid show? Numbers? Yeah, I actually, it's not a stupid show. It's actually a really good show. Yeah, but the math on that show was always just kind of like glossy. Like, of oh. course it was glossy. <laughs> it was on a network television. A lot of those things, and there, there are a couple of websites. I can't remember, uh, but I think someone, uh, someone I know actually ran the, ran the website. Uh, and there's a lot of really, really interesting graph theory and social network theory at the very least. Like, they'll mention things, and I'll know what they're talking about. And like, I mean, they were talking about weighted Kruskal mappings or weighted Kruskal flows a while ago, which is an actual thing. Almost all of the things on there were used by FBI mathematical consultants. It was based on actual work. It's just no one person ever could have possibly known that much math. Yeah. That that was the amazing thing. That was the thing that was hardest for me to understand. Them glossing over math, totally understandable. One person knowing everything there was to know about cosmology, physics, computer science, and like discrete mathematics. Yeah. That was not. I had trouble with, uh, it was like the second episode where someone, where, where like the main topic of that episode was the Riemann conjecture. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it's, that's like everything, every movie about like that silly movie. No, it, was, it was not, I'm pretty sure it was not the second. It was the first episode. It was in the first I, I, five. Yeah, you know, it was in the first season. I remember which one, but the topic, the math in it was not the Riemann uh, as a, Neil as Patrick a matter, Harris was in that episode. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, the person claimed to have solved the Riemann. Yeah, Neil Patrick out Harris. He had not, mm-hmm. and he was being blackmailed by a group of people who uh, wanted an algorithm based on his proof so that they could crack something, and then they were tracked by some backscatter uh, computer method. I've not watched the first season in a while, so I don't really remember entirely. So they mentioned the Riemann. Of course they're going to. They also mentioned P versus NP a lot in that first season. Uh, But, I mean, of course they're going to talk about those things because they're the things that people know have something to do with mathematics. You have to pander somewhat if you're going to do a network television show. A little bit, but you ask the first 20 people to walk down the street what the Riemann conjecture is. Ask me what the Riemann conjecture is. I can't state it either. I but, can. Okay, go. Um, that the zeros of the Riemann zeta function lie along the critical line. What is the Riemann zeta function? It's one uh, over z to the i. Uh, it's the sum from zero to infinity yeah. 
of one over n to the z. One over n to the z, where z is a complex z number. Z is a complex yeah. number. Yeah. Oh man, I really want to look up the exact. That is, that is cool. it. Well, that's sum. That yeah. is that is the initial definition. This does not converge over the entire complex plane. You have to use the process of yeah. Anal- I, I wanted, analytic I, continuation. What I wanted was the direct statement of the Riemann hypothesis. Riemann's actual statement. Oh. Yeah, no, no, that's what I was saying. I knew that much about the Riemann, but I'm saying that I doubt oh, many well, no, mathematicians. His, his Riemann's statement about that was very offhand. He was like, this is probably true. I just yeah, don't but, have time but he to prove actually, it. Well, okay. It, how about the one used by the Clay, oh, okay. Clay Institute to actually define the problem? This is everyday math, everyone. Stay yeah, tuned. Well, this is everyday <laughs> math talked about by mathematicians. But still, if you say the Riemann hypothesis, people will recognize that as mathematics. Mm-hmm. Sure. Something. So that's yeah. why it would be in a show like that. That's why it's in movies about mathematics. You still have to pander somewhat. You know what other thing we use uh, talking about movies about mathematics? You know what other type of math we use on a regular basis? Uh, just in kind of in the same way your calculus for driving? Cooking. Game theory. Well, yeah. Human beings are... Not necessarily very good at it, but we use game theory a lot. Uh, I mean, because we we do view a lot of times that we're in a zero-sum game. Kind of like this podcast. This is a zero-sum game. If I'm not talking, someone else is. Therefore, I need to keep on talking. It's the only way that I can maximize my utility. And your perspiration. Yeah, I'm very sweaty. I think it's the sling. <laughs> the sling makes me very sweaty. <laughs> Anyone who has not uh, figured it out yet, my arm is in a sling because I dislocated my shoulder. And I'm very upset about that. Uh, but, I mean, uh, why can't I... Anyone have an example of, like, a, an everyday thing where people do use game theory? I know that it happens, uh, but it's slipping my mind. Um, well, the movie, The Beautiful Mind, would have us believe that you use game theory in picking up women. That was ah, a, yes! That was we, fantastic, by the way. I liked that. That I, little bit from The Beautiful Mind. That's what I was thinking about, but I didn't want to actually which, say Which, if it. anyone needs a better uh, definition of, you can go back to episode two of Combinations and Permutations and listen to Anthony Solari give this exact same talk. Or Cody can talk more about it. Or how, about, uh, how about driving, like angry driving in a traffic jam? Uh, someone could... You, you, you have two options. You could either... Uh, no, actually, I have a better example. The game tit for tat, basically. Like, if you're playing against someone, and, but there are times where to get through the game, you have to, you have to help each other, like climbing a wall or something. Um, so, I mean, that, that could very easily be seen as just a normal time when you're working in an office. Right. You and someone else could very easily be trying to go for the same promotion. Right. But in order to finish your work, you still have to help one another. Yes. Even though technically that could make your opponent for the promotion look better. Right. So you could have upward spirals and downward spirals. So like you where you help each other and the work gets done better and ultimately the job gets done in a more productive and, and shinier way. Or there's the where you could burn the other person and try to take more credit or do yeah but you still have to worry that then they will burn you or that burn may end up still splashing back on you even partially which could hurt you as well so this yeah the the game theory is complicated um (laughs) yeah i mean the most basic idea of it's the prisoner's dilemma which i know that i've talked about before yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, okay did you have an idea I swear, someone... I was I was thinking of a callback. Uh, CSI uses uses differential equations to uh, take a bullet's trajectory and reconstruct the shooter. Yeah, that's face. not everyday math. It's actually not even real math. But I figured it was. A good <laughs> call, so. 
But you, I mean, you can you can use differential equations to figure out bullet trajectories. Yeah, but not to reconstruct the shooter's face. Oh no! no oh CSI, God! What? Yeah. <laughs> you ever see the CSI? What? <laughs> we talked about this, Sam. Yeah, I know, but I mean, at least when num, at least when uh, Charlie Epson numbers uses differential equations to reconstruct bullet trajectories. He just figures out where the guy was standing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they find a cigarette and reconstruct his face from the DNA. Right. They don't screw up the math. <laughs> just the science. Where was the, there was, I think someone was making fun of CSI on the internet, of course. Oh my God. I know, right? And then, so there was like a, apparently someone had been murdered by a car. And then what they did is they just kept zooming. By, by a car or with a car? Near a car. Okay. So... What they did is just kept zooming in on the bolt that held the license plate together until the reflection of the killer's <laughs> face was clear. Oh, God. <laughs> and then everyone... every, single sh- every single crime show that uses tech ends up zooming in really close to some reflective surface. And re- reconstructing of, like... Just, yeah, re- I, w- I was really hoping that you're going to say, and then they were blown up, and then the killer was blown up by a nuclear bomb, and they reconstructed his face from the uh, shadow left uh, <laughs> on uh, the from ground the, from the bomb itself. Everyone puts on their sunglasses. And- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so that was an incredibly incomplete and silly representation of everyday math. If you have everyday math that you wish we would have talked about, uh, send me an email, Samuel at AcmeScience.com. Uh, and also, if you have a topic, say that we should talk about, you should uh, also send me an email to that exact same address. And so, for Mr. Sean Brecklin and Mr. Cody Palmer, I am your intrepid host, Samuel Hansen, saying, uh, So that is all the time that we have for this episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you want, you can send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. Perhaps, you know, you could give me a topic that we can cover here on Combinations and Permutations, or perhaps you want to yell about how little we've been putting these out. Sorry about that. I I did recently get injured, and that, that has kind of caused a few problems on the recording side of things. So if you want to find out more about combinations and permutations or perhaps our sister podcast, Sam and Dan and or Strongly Connected Components, head on over to acmescience.com and check out the blog. Also, be sure to head on over to Kickstarter and search for Relatively Prime and then donate some money. Donate, donate, donate. Every single one of you needs to give me a dollar or five or 500. Just you guys need to give me money. The music that I'm talking over is from SP12. You can find them over at opsound.org. And this is a Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike licensed podcast. As it always is and as it always shall be. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you come back for the next episode of Combinations and Permutations. <laughs>